Mark 15. And from verse 16, we'll read. Mark chapter 15 and and verse 16 onwards. The soldiers took him to their headquarters and called out the entire battalion. They dressed him in a purple robe and made a crown of long, sharp thorns and put it on his head. They saluted, yelling, Hail, King of the Jews! And they beat him on the head with a stick, spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the country just then and they forced him to carry Jesus's cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means Skull Hill. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then they nailed him to the cross. They gambled for his clothes, throwing dice to decide who would get them. It was nine o'clock in the morning when the crucifixion took place. A signboard was fastened to the cross above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, the King of the Jews. Two criminals were crucified with him, their crosses on either side of his. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, can you? Well, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of the law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed. But he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the two criminals who were being crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon... Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then, at that time, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a stick so he could drink. Leave him alone. Let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down, he said. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman soldier who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, Truly, This was the Son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and cared for him while he was in Galilee. They and many other women had come with him to Jerusalem. Let's pray together.
Oh God, this morning on this Good Friday, we come and we, we thank you. Thank you for dying for us. God, how deep your love is for us that you would send your only son to make us people who were far from you, your treasure. God, we ask today as we gather together this morning that you would capture our hearts afresh with the depth of your love, that we would be reminded of how far we would be from you without your death. And that this morning, God, we would leave here transformed, uh, renewed, empowered to live the way that you created us to be. God, we thank you for dying. Thank you for sending Jesus to die. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, almost a uh, hundred years ago now, a little over a hundred years ago, uh, on an autumn evening, uh, an earthquake really startled the villagers in a Japanese seaside town. Uh, they, they were accustomed to earthquakes in that area, so they soon went back to all their activities. But above the village on a high plain, an old farmer was watching from his house. And he looked out to the sea and the water appeared dark and it, it acted strangely. It was moving against the wind and running away from the land. And the old man knew what it meant. Uh, his one thought was to warn the people in the village. He called his grandson, bring me my torch, make haste. And in the fields behind him lay his great crop of rice. And all the rice was packed and stacked high, ready for the market. It was worth a fortune, the rice. And the old man hurried out with his torch and he set his, all his rice and all the stalks alight and they were blazing. Then a big bell rang from down below in the temple, down below. And, and people started yelling, fire! And people started running from, from the beach away from the sea and they started running up the side of the cliff and they came, people pouring up to the top of the plain, people from the village. They were coming to save their crops of their rich neighbour. He's mad, one person said. This doesn't make sense, said another. What's the logic in all the action of him burning his rice? And as they reached the plain, the old man shouted back at the top of his voice. He said, look! And at the edge of the horizon, they saw a long, lean, dim line, a line that thickened as they gazed. The line was the sea and it was rising like a high wall and it was coming really quickly towards the shore, swiftly, almost like a kite. Then a shock came, heavier than thunder. And a great wall struck the village and the houses just shuddered and collapsed like matchsticks. It drew back, roaring, and then again it came and struck again. And then again it came and hit again and then it returned back to its place. And on the plain, 
Not a word was spoken. And then the quiet voice of the old man with, of the old man was heard, saying, "That's why I set fire to the rice." He stood among them, uh, as almost as poor as the poorest, for all his wealth was now gone. And while his action didn't make sense to the villagers as they ran up and saw him setting fire to his stuff, in the aftermath of what had happened with this tidal wave, they realised that his sacrifice had saved 400 lives. You know, almost 2,000 years ago on another hillside, another sacrifice was made. And that sacrifice has saved countless lives. Many people didn't understand the actions as they happened and thought they made no sense. The disciples didn't know at the time what had happened. But today we're still talking about the effect of Jesus's sacrifice, his death on the cross. And the reason is because his sacrifice was the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth. His whole purpose of coming was to die so that he could save people, so that he could save you and that he could save me. This is what he said in John 12, 47. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save it. Do you know, when Jesus came to earth, the Bible says that God had walked this earth. During Jesus' life, he showed himself in so many ways that he was no ordinary man. He taught with authority and people heard his teaching like none they had ever heard before. He healed people. He, he even raised people from the dead. Many of the religious leaders hated Jesus because he was a threat to them and they set out to kill him. And when it came to the time of uh, arresting Jesus, they tried to bring all sorts of claims against Jesus and none of them would stick. You know, they tried to fabricate things and they couldn't find witnesses that would stand. But there was one claim that did stick. There was one claim, uh, accusation that couldn't, he couldn't, they couldn't get away from, that they, they nailed him with. They said, finally, after trying everything else, they asked, are you the son of God? And he replied, you are right in saying, I am. Then they said, okay, that's it. That's it. We're going to kill him. You see, notice Jesus never claimed to be just a good man. He never claimed to be a moral leader. He never claimed to be a great teacher. He said, I am God. I am God, Jesus said. I'm the only way to get to heaven. The only way you can get to the Father is through me, Jesus said. That kind of changes things a bit for us, doesn't it? For instance, if I were to say today, you know, I'm a, I'm a good guy. You know, I, I like teaching and people sometimes like to hear me teach. You might say, well, yeah, maybe that might be true. If I said, oh, look, I'm a great, uh, I'm someone who really seeks to live a godly life. And as you might get to know me more and, and you might say, yeah, that's true. We can agree that. But if I'm to come here and say, I'm God and I'm the only way to get to the Father, you have to make a decision about me then, don't you? You're forced to make a decision about me. You have to decide whether I am or whether I'm not. If you've ever met anyone who claims to be God, you've only got three options. 
One, you believe that he's an idiot. You know, uh, the, the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, he's mentally um, not there. The lights are out and no one's home. The lights are on but no one's home. You know, he's kind of deluded. He's like the guy on a funny farm who says, I'm Napoleon, you know. He, he must be out of his mind, you say. That's one option when someone tells you, I'm God. He just doesn't know what he's talking about and you pity the poor guy. Option two is you can say, this person's a deceiver. They know they're not God, but they're telling me they're God because they want to get something out of me. They're a, like, like a con artist. They're someone who's trying to trick me. There's probably someone who wants my money or they're trying to get me to do something. And so they're saying that they're God. And people will tell you that they are something that they're not in order to get things from you. So you can say, he's, he's just not all there. Or you can say, he is there, but he's a complete deceiver. Or you can say, I believe you're telling the truth. And in that case, our only response is to fall down and worship the person who claims to be God, to follow him. Now, everybody in this room today has made some kind of decisions about Jesus Christ. But you need to know that you either believe that he's a liar or you believe that he's a lunatic or you believe that he's actually the Lord. You know, there's no room for just believing that he was a good teacher because good teachers don't actually claim to be God and be wrong. You know, you, you can't just say, I believe that he's a, uh, you know, he's a good person because a good person wouldn't say the kind of things that he said if it wasn't true. There's no other options but to say that he's out of his mind, he's a deceiver or he's the Lord. You have to decide who Jesus is. Was he really God? Jesus claimed that he was God and that he was the saviour of the world. He said, I came to the world to save it. And that's why he's allowed himself to be put on trial so there'd be no doubt about who he was. Uh, he Obviously, being God, he could have stopped the trial at any moment. He could have stopped what was going on, but he didn't allow that to happen because he knew he would eventually be proven guilty as the son of God and he'd be put on the cross. That was all part of the plan. It cost Jesus his life to pay for our sins. But he was willing to do it because after the trials were over, he would do what he had come to do, save people. So Jesus came to save us. Jesus was God. But why did he actually have to die? Why did he die? The Bible tells us about uh, death and about the death of Jesus. He was crucified. And this was the most brutal and torturous death that was, had been invented to that date. And, and, the, and it, it was the worst one that the Romans had ever come up with. And he went through six trials and he was made fun of by the Romans. And he was, people put a robe on him and they crowned him with a crown of thorns, as our Bible reading says today. And then they struck him on his, uh, they stuck these thorns, crown of thorns, onto his head. And the thorns would have been such that they would have gone right into his head and right in, uh, even into his brain. They, they would have gone right into his skull. They blindfolded him and they began to beat him and they began to slap him. And as they did that, they mocked and they made fun of him. And they said, who hit you? you know, who's going to be the next one? He could have told them all about who they were, the people that they were. He could have told them about their families. Yet he remained silent. 
And he was taking the suffering of the world upon himself. The Bible says that he was mocked and he was scourged. He was whipped. Uh, he, he was taken and, and scourged. Scourging, you know, was far worse than whipping. They would bend a man over a post so that they wouldn't be able to kneel down or they wouldn't be able to stand up. You know, kind of halfway in between. And your back gets sore after a little while of that sort of stuff. But that was just the start of it. You know, they, they would they'd strip, strip him down, just, just down to his waist. And then they would then start to, uh, with his hands tied and, and him stripped down to his waist, two men would come. And these men were called lectors. And, and each of those would stand on either side of him. And in each of these would hold a cat of nine tails. And this cat of nine tails had nine long strands of leather. And in each of them, they carried two things. One was sharp bits of bone. And the other thing was a strong, hard bits of leather. And they'd tie these things on with them. And when they hit down, the bone would rip the back and the leather would bruise the back. So not only would you get a ripping of the skin, but a bruising of the skin as, he, as it was pulled down over the body of the one being crucified. And this happened to Jesus. And they would, they would whip, and when they did it, it would cut it open and bruise it. And by the time they'd finished, after 40 stri uh, stripes, most people would die after 40 stripes. That's why they gave 39, just to make sure that the person didn't die. Because if you had done this to someone, and, and the lectors had done this, and they'd killed the person doing it by giving more than... Uh, 40 stripes, then the lectors would be given the same punishment themselves. So they all gave one less, 39. So Jesus, after being uh, scourged and, 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 and whipped, he was already uh, with a back that was a, a, a bloody pulp, even before he went to the cross. When you figure that, he had 39 times 9 scars over his back even before he made his way to the cross. And they gave him that heavy cross and they, he was to carry it to Calvary. And as they nailed him to the cross, they nailed both his hands and his feet. And he died slowly. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did he endure all this pain and all this suffering? Well, there's no other reason apart from the fact that he loves you. He, he loves you. He he willingly died for you because he's crazy about you. He wants to save you. When you look at the cross and you look at Jesus, you've got to see that God deeply, deeply loves you and that every blow, every nail, every shout of mockery that Jesus endured, was, he, was, he was taking it all because he loves you. Has anyone ever sacrificed anything for you? Has anyone ever sacrificed stuff for you? You know, your parents, your workmates, your teachers, your schoolmates. Anyone helped you and sacrificed for you? You know, I know my, my mum, she actually got a part-time job for me when I was at, at college so that she could help pay for my fees. She, she sacrificed for me uh, something. You know, other people have sacrificed for me down through my life as well. But uh, has anyone sacrificed for you? Has anyone ever died for you? Anyone died for you? you know, during the Civil War in America, a company of Confederate uh, soldiers, uh, irregulars, they were known as bushwhackers, uh, they, they were arrested by the Union soldiers, the opposition. And because they were guerrilla fighters and because they weren't in uniform, they were sentenced to be shot right there. Uh, a young, courageous boy who was on the Union side actually came up to the 
to the Union Army officer, commanding officer, and he touched him on the shoulder, uh, on the arm, and he said, he pleaded with him. He said, "Won't you let me? Won't you allow me to take the place of one of these condemned men?" He said, "You see, I know him well. He has a large family who needs him badly. My parents are dead, and I have few friends. No one will miss me. Please let me take his punishment." The officer hesitated, but finally he gave his consent and he pulled the husband and the father out of of the group and pulled them to one side, him to one side. And then the young man filled his position in the death line. And there's a stone today that marks a grave in a little southern town in America and it has these words, sacred to the memory of Willie Lear. He took my place. Has anyone died for you? The answer is yes, they have. Jesus has died for you. He's died right for you. The person is Jesus. He's died. He took your place on the cross. The nails and the ropes didn't hold Jesus to the cross. His own sacrificial love for you was what kept him to the cross. That was the thing that held him there. No one took his life. He took your place of his own accord. He opened his hands out willingly to die for you. In Mark's gospel, the mocker calls out in what was called, thought, cruel jest. Come down from the cross and save yourself. He saved others, but he can't save himself, they says in, in Mark 15, 30. Yet it contained a deep truth. They thought they were just mocking, but it was true. Because because Jesus actually wanted to save you and I, because he wanted to save others, he would not save himself. He would endure that because he had to endure it to save you and me. No one took his life. He gave it up, voluntary, willingly, lovingly. He gave himself to save others. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He died in your place because he loves you. This Easter service, I just want to ask you to receive his love. Wholeheartedly receive the love of God because the cross is saying, God's saying to you, I love you. I love you. Don't just believe it. Experience it. Receive God's love. He loves you. He loves you. So why would... Jesus' death be a sign of love. You know, like the, the husband who said to his wife, I love you, honey. She said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I love you. I love you so much. I'd die for you. And he said, she said, well, you never prove it. You never show it. You never do die for me. Well, but why would just dying for someone prove our love? What did his death actually do? Well, his death is what saves us. Jesus' death saves you from death yourself. He died so you actually don't have to die. Physically we would die, but you don't have to die eternally and be separated from God. What Jesus did on the cross, we couldn't do for ourselves. God, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 15, 21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The inevitable result of sin is that it separates us from God. Jesus made, was made 
uh, God made Jesus a sin offering on our behalf. Jesus not only took our place, but he took our sin when he died on the cross. Most people don't understand this. You know, most people think, uh, why doesn't God just overlook our sin? You know, God is holy. He's holy. There is no sin in God. There's no corruption in him. He's pure. He has never sinned. What he says he will do, he's holy. Yet people think, you know, well, God could just overlook my sin. Most people think of God like an old grandpa. You know, my pa, I loved him dearly. But what he would do is in the midst of a thing, he'd have this little lolly jar. And what he'd do is he'd put out a little lolly and he'd say to me, Jonathan, come here. He'd say, when my mum and dad weren't looking, when my brothers and sisters weren't looking, he'd slip me a little lolly and he'd say, Jonathan, what the eye doesn't see, the heart doesn't feel. Then he'd give me that. And he's saying, as long as no one else knows, it's all right for me to do this to you. You know, I love my pa, but he was corrupt, wasn't he? <laughs> I mean, he, he, was, he was just overlooking what everyone else thought. You know, and most people think of God and, and, and they, they look at God and they say, well, why doesn't he just overlook my sin? Why, he, why doesn't he just say, you know, it doesn't matter? Why doesn't he come up and, and he say, oh, you know, you, you've, you've, walked, you've sinned, you've walked out on your marriage, you've lied, you've stolen from your boss, you've hated this person, but you've hated this one and, and you've destroyed this person's life. But, you know, what the eye doesn't see, the heart doesn't feel. You know, why doesn't God just look at people and say, look, you've raped this person. Oh, you've destroyed this. You've even murdered this person. But, you know, it doesn't matter to me what the eye doesn't see, the heart doesn't feel. God can't say that because he's God and he's, there's no sin about him. And you can't have a relationship with God because he's holy and we're sinful. Our sin separates us from him and God can't wink at our sin. There has to be a price that's paid. Somebody has to pay for our sin. Somebody has to pay for, for your sin, for my sin. You know, um, there's only two options when it comes to who's going to pay for your sin. One is you can pay it yourself. That's option A. You can just say, well, I'm going to try and do it. This is the performance option. You can try and work and do everything you can to earn your sin, but you know, you'll never be perfect. Just all it takes is one sin that cuts you off from God and separates you and stops you from having a relationship with him. You can say, well, I'm going to just earn it and I'm going to take the penalty. If I can't do it, I'm just going to pay for my sin and you will pay for it. You will die. And you'll, when you die, you'll be separated from God for eternity. It's called hell. And in a place called hell, you'll spend the rest of your life. That's option A. You can say, I'm just going to reject this offer. Or the second offer is you can accept what Jesus did on the cross as being in your place, taking upon your sin, taking upon yourself. You see the verse in this verse in 2 Corinthians 15 and verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What happens is God says, Jonathan, I'm going to take all your sin, Jonathan Stark, all the times you've lied, all the times you've stolen, all the times you've sinned, every thought you've ever had that's not from me. And I'm going to take all that sin and I'm going to pour it out on Christ, on the cross, on Jesus. I'm going to pour it into him. I'm going to pour all your sin and suffering, Jonathan, on to Jesus and he's going to take it upon himself. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to take the sinless lamb of God and take his sinlessness, his righteousness, his purity, and I'm going to pour it on you, Jonathan. 
It doesn't happen automatically though. Everybody can be saved, but not everybody is. You know, if John Howard said today, I'm making an announcement, everybody, every person who's in prisons around Australia are free to walk out, you're, you're released. Well, if that might be true, that people can be free, but you'd still have to get out of your jail and walk out to be free, to experience it. Christ has died. And you can receive the benefits of his death by accepting what he has done for you as a free gift. The way you receive that is by faith. You say, I don't want to earn it myself. I want to accept what you've done. And I want to say, thank you, God. I'm not trying to earn it myself. I'm I'm going to accept what you have done in my place. Come into my life. Be my saviour. I'm turning from my sin and I'm living for you. Do you know... That's the only way to have a relationship with God. And that's why Good Friday is just so important to us. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. We live our whole lives pretending that we will never die. We live our lives not talking about death. And yet one day the truth is that every single one of us will die. And when we die, do you know what? The only thing that will allow us to have an eternity with Jesus Christ is not how many people we've been nice to, not how many times we've tried not to sin or how many times we've tried to get our life right. The only thing that will allow us to spend eternity in heaven with God is what we've done with Jesus. I'm going to ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Because if you say that he's Lord, you need to give your life to him. You need to make a decision now to ask him into your life, to have a relationship with him and to live your life in his power, in his strength for the rest of your time. I know, just simply pray a prayer and you can pray that right now and you can ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Saviour, not through anything you've done, but all through his done. This is what I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Then the next thing I'm going to pray is, and be my saviour and Lord. Please forgive my sins. Please forgive my sins. And give me the gift of eternal life. That's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray that right now. Let's pray. And if you want to pray this, if you just pray it, repeat it after me, these simple words. Say, say to, to Jesus, say to God right now, say these words to God. Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Saviour and Lord. Please forgive my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Life is not meant to be lived alone. And every, every person that had put their trust in Jesus Christ are now living in the power of God and in his strength. And we continue to live our lives every day.
welcome to the family. Gee, it would be great to pray with people afterwards if you've, if you've uh, made that decision today. It'd be great for just to you to ring me at the office too and say, I just want to have a time to chat and I can pray with you. If you're still not certain, make that decision. But you know what? If you haven't made that decision today and you still need to, you must ask, who is Jesus Christ? Because if he is God, you've got to worship him.